Welcome to Divorce Well with Equal Exes. My name is Bridget Jackson and I'm the founder of Equal Exes. I'm a divorce coach, settlement strategist, and I successfully guide people through relationship breakups. We are really proud to launch our first podcast series, Divorce Well with Equal Exes. In our first series, we are focusing on educating you all about divorce and separation. Professionals such as a lawyer, career coach, divorce accountant, parenting specialist, and other professionals who work at the coalface of such stressful life-changing events will be talking about their specialities as it relates to separation. Many have been divorced themselves, so understand the emotional ringer of separation firsthand. Let's face it, divorce is at the top of the stress continuum and can have dire consequences for you. You must be informed and educated about the process, the pitfalls and the best way to negotiate the divorce maze. It is such a difficult period in your life for you, your ex-spouse, your kids, your wider family and the community you live in. Knowledge is power means that a person going through divorce or separation is educated and has complete control of his or her life by using that knowledge. It's a known fact that educated people can handle things in life from a better perspective. Let this be you. Divorce is a difficult time. There are so many uncertainties. Fear and overwhelm can hijack your brain and emotions. Well-intentioned advice pours in from everywhere. A divorce coach supports you to hear your own voice, to clearly understand and know your individual wants, needs and goals, and to create a plan for moving forward. Today, our eighth episode of Divorce Well with Equal Exes focuses on the divorce coach role. To discuss this topic, we've got an experienced divorce coach, divorce financial um, analyst, mediator, author, pastoral counsellor and life renovation coach, Deborah Doak. Hi, how are you? Hi, Bridget. I'm awesome and I'm so thrilled to be here. We're delighted to have you on as a guest. Now, tell us more about what you do. Well, you know what I do? I really try to help people. I think make sure that divorce is the right decision for them and once they've decided that make sure that they're prepared informed and that they go through it in a way that produces the best outcome for their family because that's really what it's all about right yeah is making sure that our families have the least impact yeah you know as much as we can to minimize the the impact to kids and to parents, even if they don't have kids, we we want people to move on after this is over and not have it ruin the rest of their lives. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 for them to realize that there is life after divorce that can actually be really exciting and invigorating because you're able to be the person who you are. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, and often at at the the end of a marriage that isn't making us happy. We start to shut down, we close off parts of ourselves that we used to have access to, and divorce is an opportunity to open that back up, to get back in touch with that person that used to be. So it Mm -hmm. it can be an opportunity once we are able to get through that grief cycle, to get through that process. Um, And if we do it well, if we do it well, it can be an okay process. 
like a flower blooming or a butterfly, you know, right. uh, soaring. You know, exactly. And, you know, that caterpillar that goes into a cocoon, it's not the caterpillar that grows wings and turns into a butterfly. That caterpillar decomposes and turns into a huge pile of goo and then regrows into a butterfly. So it, it's important to know that it's emotional. It's hard to go through a divorce. And if you feel like a pile of goo, that's okay. That's okay. That's the part of the process that you're going to decompose a little bit. <laughs> yeah. you know, let's, nor <laughs> let's normalize that, right? On the roller coaster ride of, of separation. And absolutely. And, but there are positives, aren't there, Deborah, of, of um, separating? There really are. There always are, you know, um, even for kids, right? One of the things we hear a lot is I don't want to get divorced because of my kids. I think it's better for my kids to stay. And kids need to see a happy mom, a happy dad. They need to see you modeling a loving, mutually respectful relationship. So you know, if we can even reframe that into a positive, that if you take something that isn't working for your family and you turn it into something that where dad is living his best life and mom is living her best life, that's better for your kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, children in this process too, you know, they become more empathetic of others. Um, they become self-sufficient. Uh, there's so many positives if they can see. Because what I see in my own my own um, journey, I actually became a better parent after I separated because I was a lot happier. Absolutely, a lot happier. Um, you learn a lot on that journey. You know, a lot of my clients have been in kind of toxic, emotionally abusive relationships and so as they're coming out of those and they are learning to speak assertively and set boundaries and do some of those things they didn't do before they're teaching those skills to their kids right they ended up in those relationships because they didn't have those skills and so I say to them imagine what your life would have been like if you would have learned this when you were 12 yeah different yeah. right your daughter is now not going to put up with yeah. a boyfriend at 16 who treats her like this. Yeah. This is the silver lining here that you have the opportunity to teach your children skills that you didn't have that set you up to not know this was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree with you more. Now let's talk about your book. What I love I about your book, high conflict divorce for women, your guide to coping skills and legal strategies for all stages of divorce. Um, Reading that book, you realize that you're not alone going through this process. You're not the only one. You're not operating in silo. Mm -mm. You aren't. And that's one of the, the great things I think about <clears throat> two things. One, the internet. And two, divorce coaching. Right? Divorce coaching lets you know that they, you have a, for the most part, been there, done that, BFF who has now professional training to walk through this with you, who 
who can light the path a few steps ahead and say, look, here's what's coming. Let's get ready for it. Oh, look, there's two steps down here. So you don't fall. Yeah. And, you know, and we're having a rise in mediation and alternative dispute resolution and so many ways to make it better for families and their online support groups. So there's so many ways people now don't have to feel the stigma and the shame and the isolation that they used to feel about going through divorce. It's it's just become so common now. Um, you know, what we're seeing in New Zealand is absolutely over 50% of people are separating or divorcing. It's just becoming the, the norm. It really is. Um, so, yeah. you know, kids in schools... You're at a table of five kids and, um, you know, at least two or three others on that desk are, are in the same scenario. Yeah, same scenario. We have um, in middle schools and high schools here now, they're having divorce support groups for kids because so many kids are going through it that the guidance counselors are actually offering support groups um, for kids. That is really interesting. That doesn't exist here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, so very. They, don't, they don't have it everywhere, but they're starting to have it some places. And, you know, how helpful is that for you to have a place to go where other kids are going through the same thing, where maybe co-parents aren't getting along and that's so difficult for kids. Mm. Um, and so for them to be able to talk to each other about how hard that is. Even blended families. Yeah. I mean, that is really difficult. Mm. The Brady Bunch, that, you know. Yeah, I did that. It's hard. Yeah. I'm doing that, and it is hard. Yeah. It's very, it's not, it is not easy. It requires a lot of uh, communication. And, you Being know, on one the of the things. Hey. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm a big advocate of is conflict resolution skills and yep. learning those as you go through the divorce process. And I, I think one of the things that I, I, not only does it help you in the divorce, it helps you in co-parenting, but it helps you when you get into that next relationship, especially if you've got step kids and navigating all of that. Because I don't know about in New Zealand, but in the States, the divorce rate is even higher for second marriages and even higher for third. Yeah. And so, yeah. You know, That's a common trend, isn't right. it? I think worldwide. Yeah. So what's happening is we're not learning the conflict resolution skills in the first divorce. And we're taking the same unhealthy repetitive patterns mm-hmm. then into the next relationship, which is even more complex than the first one when you add in another ex-wife and another ex-husband and some stepkids. And so if you haven't up-leveled your skills, then of course that's not going to be successful. I think that a lot of people too, Deborah, and I'm sure you agree, are still stuck in their stories. They haven't moved from mm-hmm. that to, you know, dealing with it as a purely a business transaction. And so you see people who and friends and family run away because they don't want to hear the story for the 18th time. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things you and I are really in alignment on is if we can work with people from the front end and through the process and help them get through it in a way where they feel prepared, informed, they're fully participating in the process 
and they feel like they made good decisions, not that they got what they wanted. Nobody gets what they want in divorce. That's a lie. Uh, But if they feel like they made informed, intentional decisions and they walk away feeling good about how they behaved and good about the decisions they made, they can recover. They can leave that behind and go on to live their best life. The worst thing ever is you're talking to somebody, they're telling you their divorce story. How long ago did you get divorced? 10 years. 10 years, you're still carrying around that suitcase of stones. That's got to be awful. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it's about, you know, it really is about you having to do that for yourself. You've got to. Because as you and I know, being in a relationship that's not serving you well is you lose your identity, you lose your purpose, and it takes time to heal yourself. And on on average, it takes, doesn't it, three years to get through a divorce and separation. It really does. It doesn't, you don't just leave and everything's all great again. No, and that, that's one of the first things I talk to people about is, um, Mm. you know, one of the things divorce coaches can do with people because is help manage expectations. Unrealistic expectations is another factor mm. that escalates conflict and escalates costs and escalates emotions in divorce. And so let's talk about expectations. It's going to take 12 to 18 months in the US if things go well yeah. to get divorced. This isn't something where you're gonna walk into a room, throw your proposal down on the table, He's going to sign it. You're going to go to the courthouse and be divorced. It is a process of paperwork and discovery and disclosure and negotiation. And if you try to rush it, you'll create conflict. Absolutely. The process is slow. It's deliberate. It's conversational. So if you want it to go well, it's going to take longer. And high conflict scenarios can take much longer which you and I know and everyone knows going through that journey you know the cost in terms of the emotional toll let alone the financial and the time period Mm. it's just the recipe for disaster takes you two years to get to court it's a road that you and I we guide people down what does it look like if we take that path? What about if we take mm-hmm. the other path, the guided resolution and, and mediation, for example, or collaborative practice? Uh, very different avenues. Yeah, Very different avenues. And I ask a, a big important question a lot when they get to a gridlock, they get to an impasse where if I don't, if we can't make agreement here, we're going to go to trial. And that is, what's your price of freedom? Mm. Right. This Mm -hmm. one last this one last thing, these two last things, those extra two overnights a month that you're fighting for in your parenting plan. Is that your price of freedom? Yeah. And is that going to cost you uh, school fees or a vacation or a new property, taking (laughs) your kids away on holiday? Mm. Yeah. Is that the down payment on a house? Is Mm. that the money you could use to start a business? Is that like, what's the opportunity cost of fighting over that? What are you giving up to fight for that? And or what's it worth to you to be done? Yeah. So we explore all those things. And I know, I know you approach it the same way I do. 
which is, again, let's make an informed, intentional decision. Don't let the unhealthy, repetitive conflict, the desire to win, the desire to prove that he's wrong, she's wrong, she's bad, um, drive you to the courthouse. Yeah. And if you have to, if you have to, you got to look at those strategies, the self-soothing, the self-affirmations, the journaling, having patience, pausing, all of that is vitally important, isn't it? For strategy, some of the strategies in terms of being able to manage those emotions during this process. Right. Distress tolerance is a big one. Yeah. And we talk about that in conflict coaching, right? Yeah. If we can help improve distress tolerance, that can decrease reactivity and slow the brain down so that the logical thinking part of our brain can be back in charge again. And then we can make these higher level decisions instead of being just reactive from our amygdala or our lizard brain. Yeah. So your practice focuses on predominantly women. Tell tell us more about that. I would say the majority of my clients are women, um, primarily either stay-at-home moms or, or under earners, not under earners, lower earners. They're making, you know, 20%, 25% or less of the family income. So <clears throat> they're the primary caregivers for kids. And they have big concerns about being able to support themselves if they get divorced. Yeah. And one big um, thing that I did right during the process, and I encourage my clients to do that as well, and I'm sure you're on the same page as me in terms of this, is... Um, always keep your hand in work, um, whether it's being on the school PTA or whether it's charity work or you've got a small part-time job. It's very important because, as we said, life isn't always a bed of roses and our journey goes in directions that we don't imagine they'll go in. And if you have had your hand in with working, that's absolutely going to hold you in great stead moving forward as a single person when you do separate? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I have this conversation with women when we're working on their, you know, I am a certified divorce financial analyst, so I do get into the numbers a lot with people. And so we'll start out and we're looking at their budget and they say, well, I don't, you know, this is going to work out fine because I'm going to get spousal support. And I say, okay, but what if you didn't have spousal support? What would it look like? Well, but I'm going to have it. And I say, okay, let's reality test this. You've told me that your husband has cheated on you. Your husband has lied about money. Your husband has hidden money. Your husband has done all these things. So he's not a trustworthy person. What you're telling me is now you're going to put your future financial security in the hands of a person who isn't trustworthy. Let's explore that. Mm. Let's explore the fact that you aren't going to be able to pay your mortgage or your rent or buy groceries if he doesn't keep his promise and pay you on the first of the month. So he's still in control. 100%. Absolutely. And we want to we want to make our clients empowered and excited right. about what their future holds and that's coming back to understanding your finances and because a lot of people hyperventilate when they're yeah even thinking about their finances. But 
to empower yourself, you need to go out of your comfort zone and whatever area you need um, to fill the gaps in, um, from budgeting right through to investing. It's, right. it's so imperative. Money is a tool. Money is nothing more than a tool that you use to do what you want in life. Yeah. <coughs> but we all need it. We, all, we can't operate without it. We can't operate without it unless you have a trust fund, in which case you probably wouldn't be talking to us about being worried about money. So money is a, a tool so that you can do what you want. Part of what you want is to be divorced and separate from this person. If you've been a stay-at-home parent or a lower-earning parent, if you've been financially dependent, if you've been kind of in an abusive or controlling situation where your partner has been calling the shots and telling you what you can and can't do and limiting your access to money and just generally being in control, then why would you want to perpetuate that after divorce where they're still in control? They can still jerk you around by saying, yeah, I'm not going to pay you until the 10th this month. And then all your bills are late. It keeps you jacked up. There's so a lot to be said, isn't there, about a clean break? No. Yes, or at least at least set yourself up so that mm. if he is late, you're not flustered. Eh, I'll pay my bills, and then when I get his money, I'll put up my savings account. Great, because his check coming in to me late isn't a big deal. It's just going to go in my vac- yeah. yeah. It's going to go in my emergency fund or my yeah. retirement account, or I'm paying off my car, or it's my down payment savings for the my dream house, or whatever it is. But it's not my grocery money. Mm. Yeah. Because got, then he's still in charge. Mm. You've got to rely on yourself, and it's so different. It's such a different scenario to what you've been in for twenty years, fifty years, whatever that looks like. But You've got to be able to. There's that word. You've got to be able to yeah. pivot, haven't you? You've got to. You've got to. You've got to change your mindset, change your perspective, mm-hmm. and go. Okay, this is going to be a challenge for me on so many fronts that I've never imaginable in your life. Because I think you go through divorce and separation thinking it's going to be a certain way, and inevitably yeah. it never ends up. The the sheer volume of it and everything is so overwhelming, regardless of whether it's high conflict or amicable, isn't it? Yeah, there's just, there's so many changes that come up and you don't know who you're going to be after divorce. You don't know what kind of opportunities are going to be presented to you, who you're going to meet. Um, but you know, so setting yourself up for financial independence If you come to me when you say, I'm not quite sure, I think I want to leave, but I'm really worried about money, and we run the numbers and we say, ugh, doesn't look good, then we create what I call an exit strategy. And that Mm. exit strategy might be a three-year plan so that the baby's in kindergarten so that you can work. And in the meantime, guess what? We're going to go ahead and let him foot the bill for you to go to nursing school. Mm. Yeah. So that... When the time comes, you're set up. The baby's in school. You've got your nursing degree. You're good to go. Or your accounting degree. Or you've taken your bookkeeping course. Or whatever it is. So you can use that time productively. That's what I mean by strategy. 
Mm. You're using that time. If you're able to stay in that relationship safely. If you can. Yeah. And that's all mm. all part of the dialogue too, right? Mm, mm, Absolutely. And I'm not sure what you've got in America, but in New Zealand we have economic disparity. Um, And that is a payment, whether that's lump sum um, or whether that's um, monthly payments, whereby uh, one party who's been the caregiver at home looking after the children has sacrificed their career to obviously be the main caregiver. Um, so what happens is there's usually a, a it's not a 50-50 split. There may potentially be a 60-40 split or a 55-45 split in favour of the caregiver because they've missed 10 years, 15 years of actually being in a career to, to raise the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do see that sometimes. So we will see a disproportionate division of marital property to account for that. Um, sometimes we'll do, yes, a lump sum type um, alimony or spousal support, we kind of would call it here, which is a monthly payment. Um, it just really depends on the individual's situation. Um, it depends what their what their wealth level is, how much disparity there is in in their incomes. If she's working mm-hmm. a little bit part time, and she's making, um, I'll speak in U.S. dollars, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a year, and he's making two hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, we're going to have a transfer there of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Now you've been through two divorces: one that was amicable and one that wasn't so amicable. Tell mm-hmm. us more about those. So the first divorce was when my children were one and three, and that was just, you know, we weren't a good fit as life partners together. We are, we were friends. We shared a moving truck. We have, we ended up living a block and a half apart, having keys to each other's houses. Um, I still probably talk to him on average once a week or every other week because we still co-parent, even though our children are adults, they're moving and finishing grad school and and doing things. Um, We traveled uh, all over the country when the kids were looking at colleges. We still move our kids together every time they move. We just moved my daughter last week. Um, And so that it's been lovely. So I have a great example. Now I will say, and I tell people this, it was difficult at first figuring out the parenting plan and fussing with each other about the flexibility of what's supposed to be your weekend. And I have plans and he had plans, you know, I mean, some of that fussing happened. You know, we say conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Right. So it took six to nine months to kind of get that worked out. So it, I tell people just because you're fussing during divorce and a little bit afterward while you're getting settled, that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Yeah. Hold tight. Mm-hmm. Hold tight. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing it. And be your best self. You know, Continue to manage those emotions and be the, your best self. Be your be your best self. You can be yeah. very boundaried. You can be assertive and communicate really directly. Right? That's still being your, your best self. But you'll settle in. Um, but the second divorce was, you know, I was financially dependent by then. And so I was, I was reactive. 
this is an example where I always say I made that divorce harder and more expensive than it needed to be because I was acting out of fear. Yeah. I was acting out of my emotions because I was mad. I was scared. I was afraid I wasn't getting my fair share. Were you the initiator you know? of that? I, w- I was. Mm. Yeah, I did. I initiated it. Um, so he was angry. Right. Yeah, he was angry. out of his control, out of his control mm-hmm. that you wanted to leave. Right. Even though I had every good reason, that didn't matter. And do you have anything to do with him anymore? I have not spoken to him at all. No, not at all. And the learnings for you through both of those separations must be huge. It's huge. You know, I mean, what I took from the first one is that co-parenting can, done right, can be a beautiful process. For instance, I don't know if he would care if I say this. I don't think he would. Um, He got a DUI one time and lost his license. I drove drove him everywhere he needed to go. I took him to the grocery. I picked Mm. up his Mm. stuff at the pharmacy. I... You know, I took care of everything. Why? Because he's my kid's dad. Mm. Um, that's why. Because he's my kid's dad and he needed help. So, of course, I did that. Yeah. Not everyone would do that, though. Mm. Not everyone would do that. Mm. But, you know, I did. And because it's when you, when we say best interests of the children. Yeah. I think some people really don't know what that means. They mean that they think it's best interest of themselves, and people don't have the foresight that the trauma and the pain, the prolonged conflict has during this process on children can last for years and never leave them. And you know, my children say to me, "Mum, we're never getting married. Never getting married." Right. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Right. But can you imagine what my children would have thought if their dad was walking two miles to the grocery store and back while I was laying on the couch watching Housewives of Beverly Hills and eating bonbons? Yeah. While he was chucking, walking miles in the 100 degree weather, carrying bags of groceries home. What what would that have said about me as a person? Yeah. It wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been good. And I wouldn't have been showing my kids the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. So I said, sure, what time do you want to go to the grocery? I'll pick you up. Or do you just want to text me a list? Yeah. Yeah. And then Venmo me. I don't care, either one. No regrets there for you. No regrets whatsoever. Um, so how do you see the role of a divorce coach? I'll also like to call it a settlement strategist. Mm. You know, I love that. I love that because I do think that's a lot of what we do. Mm. Um, So let's talk about divorce coach first. Divorce coach is uh, someone who, well, so what does a coach do? You think about a football coach or a gymnastics coach or their goal for somebody is to help them perform at their best. Yeah. So what do I want for my clients? 
I want them to perform at their best throughout their divorce. Now, that could mean protecting themselves from a spouse who isn't going to treat them fairly, or it could mean showing up as their best self. Take the man to the grocery store. He needs your help. Mm. Don't name call and bad mouth him. Mm. It's not best for your kids, right? Whatever that looks like. So helping them perform to their best level. Helping them make the best decisions that they can make. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, Mm. I've said it before, informed, intentional decisions so that you feel like you showed up well. You can look back and say, I did a good job. Yeah. So you can leave your divorce in the past and not be talking about it 10 years from now. Yeah. Now, are there some spouses, the high actual high conflict people that are going to do all that post-separation abuse and keep taking you back? Yes, but those are the minority of people. And we have a lot of control over how much we poke the bear. How much yeah. we poke the hornet's nest. Yeah. Yeah. And that starts with how much attention you give them. How much or attention not. you give them. Or not. How you, yeah. how you say things. Mm. Right? Mm. So I always give this example of, let's say you've got, I'll use the, the gender usual roles. Mom's been a stay-at-home mom or the primary caregiver. Dad's always been working and traveling. They head it to the mediation table, and she says, I'd like to propose a parenting plan where you have the kids every other weekend and um, dinner on Wednesday night. And he says, no way. I want 50-50 shared parenting. She has an option at that point, and this is settlement strategist now. Hmm. She can lean in, get red in the face, get buggy eyes, and say, what are you talking about? You've never changed a diaper. You've never taken anyone to gymnastics or soccer. You've never cooked a meal. You don't have any idea what you're doing. How dare you? Or she can say, wow, I love that you want to spend more time with the kids. I'm kind of excited about that, but tell me more about how that would actually work with your travel schedule Mm -hmm. and having to be at work at six in the morning. Process questions. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So he will react so differently to those two things. So that's where the strategy comes in, is giving them that language, helping them understand the impact of how they approach that settlement negotiation. Yeah. And also, you know, during, in terms of communication throughout this process, neutral statements are really important. How you absolutely frame all of that. None right, of this, and you know, I, you, 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 you did this and uh, you did that. No. Yeah. You know, Bill Eddy of the Conflict, um, High Conflict Institute talks a lot about ear statements, like the yeah. ear that you listen with, right? Empathy, empathy affection, respect. Atten- yeah. Right. Yeah. Empathy, attention, and respect, right? I hear you. Yeah. I appreciate you're still sitting here at the mediation table working on this with me. Right. It's just I tell clients sometimes I'm going to ask you to say things that will make you throw up in your mouth because I know you hate him. So bring some chewing gum, bring some Tic Tacs with you. But this is strategy. 
if you want a better chance of getting what you want, of having an amicable outcome, of having a better co-parenting relationship, we're going to use ear statements. And if you need to chew gum or bring some antacids with you, then do that. Yeah. Right? And it works. it's worth it. It works. It yeah. works and it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're done with your mediation session, you can call me or you can call a girlfriend and you can let it all out. But you don't let it out in that room with, with your spouse. Yeah, because fundamentally people want to be listened to and heard. You know, it's huge. It really is. Um, and it makes such a difference mm. in the, the level of conflict, mm. getting to a settlement. Calms it all down. Getting a better chance of getting what you want. Right. If she continues to say, you've never changed a diaper, you've never cooked a meal. He's going to dig his heels in even harder on the 50 50. And if that's the standard in your court system, then they if they if she doesn't give in. Right. And they go to court. That's what he's going to get. Or she can take the other approach and maybe by continuing to talk about it, he'll realize that's not really practical. And she'll get a lot closer to what she really wants. It's just a smart way to do things. Mm. So from your perspective, what is step one in the divorce separation journey for people? Get a divorce coach. Yeah. <laughs> and flashing lights bolded and underlined. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> don't go to an attorney first. And no. the reason I say that, I think that's most people's knee jerk reaction is the first thing I need to do is call an attorney. And the reason I say I, I don't recommend that first is because there is some pre work that you can do with a divorce coach mm. that mm. will help make that attorney consult even more effective and cheaper. And cheaper. Getting your shared marital assets organized, your affidavit of assets and liabilities, sorting out the chattels, all of that, all of that and more. All of that, but also we can help you talk through like your priorities and Mm. what are your specific legal concerns about your case. And if you're just doing initial consults, what kind of attorney are you looking for? How do we how do we ask the right questions? So that you can identify, assuming you even need an attorney, how do you identify if this is the right one for you? So how do you get your legal questions answered? And how do you how do you interview an attorney so that you can even figure out if this is the right one for you? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. In my practice, I always refer people to two lawyers to make sure they've got the right style and approach. I only work with lawyers who don't feel the conflict. And, you know, that you and your lawyer document in terms of questions to ask yourself before you see a lawyer and questions for the lawyer mm-hmm. are really pertinent. And, yes, sitting down and working through not giving them legal advice but just guidance in terms of the areas of of the law that relate to their scenario that they need to talk about in depth with their legal counsel. Right. So what do we hear? We can't give legal advice, yeah. but we know a lot of legal information. You know, we've worked yeah. with hundreds or thousands of people. We know a lot of legal information. So 
when we're having that intake appointment or those first couple sessions with a client, we hear, oh, I hear you have a special needs child, right? Is this a child that likely is going to be at home with you and not self-supporting? Great. Good to know. Let's put that on our list of things that you want to talk to the attorney about is ongoing support for that child after normal child mm-hmm. support would end. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hear you saying that you had a job with some of this um, pension or retirement money before you got married, or you have you got a gift from a parent or an inheritance from a parent. Um, it sounds like you have some questions about whether this is your own separate property or if it is marital property that's be de- been up to be divided. Let's put that on your list of questions, mm. right? So we can help you sort through to make the most of that time. If you go in unprepared, the attorney's going to talk a lot about themselves. Yeah, yeah. And also one of the biggest questions um, that I want that I see, particularly with female clients, I'm going to stay in the house and I want to buy the house because mm-hmm. stability for the kids. We see that a lot. Right. And that might make sense mm. or it might not. Right? Yep. Yep. The other thing I see is people show up at their attorney consults and they spend a half hour telling their story. Yeah. That's not what the attorney's there for. No. The attorney's there to give you legal advice. So tell me your story because I charge a third of what an attorney charges. Tell me your story. Then let me pick out of your story what I what I hear might be. Right. And yeah, legal type things and say, hey, you know, what I hear you saying is, does that sound like something you might have a legal question about? Mm. Yeah. And I think for people who are stuck in the story, I get my clients to write down their divorce story and then they rip it up, put it on a bonfire, Mm -hmm. it's done, move on, let go. Right. I had a client who wrote hers on toilet paper and flushed it down. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. that's good too. I love it. I don't want to ask whether she went number one or two on this wall. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask. <laughs> I, that's, that's hilarious. Um, uh, do, how do you help minimize conflict during a divorce in your role? Well, your role is plural, isn't it? You know? Yeah, roles. Um, I think the same way you do. Yeah. Information. I think for me, I I say fear is the most expensive thing in divorce. Yeah. And fear is usually what leads to conflict. So by giving people information about the divorce process, we help manage expectations. We give them conflict management skills negotiation strategies. So that example that I gave about parenting time, imagine the difference in the conflict level just by her initial response. Yeah. Yeah. And how to, how to be, how to be effective. We've got a, we've got a coaching program and how to effectively co-parent and people love that. You know, they just really, they love the, uh, you know the circle of life and the circle of a co-parent, and what and what areas do you need to improve? Is it the communication, for example, mm-hmm. which is predominantly a problem that 
clients have and how are we going to minimize the issues there for example yeah. what about using a parenting app right right and how many things can we head off by making sure we think through potential future conflicts when we're writing our parenting plan yeah. so you write a parenting plan that says Parent A is going to pick the kids up Friday night at 5 and bring them back Sunday night at 6. Okay. What if they're late? How do you want to handle that? Yeah. Right. So let's think through all the what ifs. Try to think through ahead of time and talk about all the things that you could disagree about. Talk about them now. Put them in your parenting plan. So that then when it comes up, you can pull your parenting plan out and go, oh, we already talked about that. Mm, mm. We agreed if you were more than 30 minutes late and you didn't let me know two hours ahead of time that you forfeited your time that night. So at 530, you know, you and the kids leave and you go out to dinner and you have a great night. Yeah. And there's no issue. That's right. And 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 there's a lot of people who continue with the chaos and drama of parenting right. that, that comes with all of that. And, you know, if you do have conflict, for example, you know, you, you make a plan that includes that you drop off and pick up, pick up from school, for example, and you have two sets of school clothes and school uniforms and mufti at each home instead of, so you need to minimise the contact that you both have for the time yes. being, potentially. Or yeah. it might be for long term, depending on whether you are actually, um, you know, parallel parenting is a extension of co-parenting. And there are some cases, as you and I know, where parallel parenting is the, refer, uh, is the preferred option for many reasons. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it is, it, sometimes it is the only option. Yeah. Right, with a true high-conflict yeah. personality. Yeah. Um, what we hope is that if we if, if people like you and I get in on the front end of the process, we can cool it down enough that it doesn't escalate to that point. Now, are there some people that are gonna gonna make it like that no matter what? Yeah, there yes. are. And then what we do is we help our clients be boundaried as heck. Yeah. Yeah. Because your divorce, I don't want him to continue to wreck your life. So Let's talk about how you are and aren't going to handle things so that when he is 45 minutes late, it doesn't wreck your world. You, you're prepared for it. You know exactly how you're going to respond, what you're going to do, and you're not pacing the floor for 45 minutes cussing at him. Yeah. It's just a waste of energy, and, and that's time that you're never going to get back, you know, spent getting yourself into a complete mess. Because right. um, they want that, they, that's what that, that's the outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And it could be something okay. as simple as if he's supposed to pick them up at 5 and now it's 5.45 and you had plans to meet some girlfriends somewhere at 5.30, you text him and say, hey, guess what? We're at uh, the Mexican restaurant. You're going to need to pick them up there. Yeah. Deborah, do you, do you believe that a broken marriage can be fixed? I do. I think it depends on why it's broken. Um, do you see I any? Believe, sorry, you go. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I think people get into unhealthy, repetitive patterns. Mm. And if they are both committed to making those changes, it it can be. Um, I, I, you know, we see women all the time that have just gotten really small and quiet and stopped speaking up. And, you know, we teach people how to treat us. And so that's one of the things we work on if they're afraid they're going to have regrets is, okay, well, what if you started showing up differently? Mm. Let's see if he'll respond differently. So we get real assertive and real boundaried up and start speaking clearly and directly and see if maybe he will. And that takes time, you know. And, it does. And from working in the first instance with a client who was like that and moving through the weeks and the months that you work with them and they're showing up as a new person in a great way. Oh yeah. And then, so I always say, and I think I stole this from the chump lady. I don't remember. Do you know who the chump lady is? Yep. She's really, really snarky, but I like her. Um, is to try to get to the magical land of meh. Meh meaning I don't really care. I am good. I feel happy with myself. And if he changes and turns into a partner that I can live with that makes me happy, that's awesome. And if he doesn't, then guess what? That's awesome because I'm going to be okay. I'm great. So we want to get to that point where I really don't care if he gets better or not, if he changes or not, because I'm going to have a fabulous life either way. Yeah. And it's coming back to is you've got to love yourself first internally and externally before you can actually love anyone else. You know, that um, in terms of a intimate partner, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's so true. And I think, you know, it takes on average, I think, people six years to actually do anything about their marriage or relationship issues. And I honestly right. believe that it takes you years to become a different person in a great way, find yourself again. Yeah. It takes a, it takes a lot mm. of work. Yeah. And so if you're if you're physically safe, if you're emotionally safe, um there's no better place to do that work than in that marriage. Why not do that work there? You've got to do it anyway. Mm. Why not practice on that person who you know? Yeah. And two people have really got to be in that marriage. And, and um, you know, we're not pro-divorce by any stretch of the imagination, but both of you have got to show up and do the work to make those improvements in your relationship. You know, yeah. are, there, are, are there unrealistic expectations? You know, we've talked about expectations. Are there unrealistic mm -hmm. expectations that you've got of each other? Um, do you never fight, which, you know, fighting can be good fighting. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're never having disagreements, you're not having a healthy relationship. Yeah, there's something going. Somebody is having resentments. Somebody yeah. is not speaking up because, yeah. my goodness, sometimes people disagree. Yeah, that's just that's just humanity. Are the clients you see financially prepared for divorce in the main? No. They're not. They're not. And that's one of the big fears. It's like, oh, my gosh, money. Ah, 
I'm allergic to calculators. I don't know what to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Math phobia. Or math, Excel, not, Excel spreadsheets. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. They say, I'm not good at math. Yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah, you are. I don't know who told you that. I don't know where you got that limiting belief. But everybody is capable of managing their finances. You're not bad at it. You've just never been taught. Two totally different things. Finances, it's not, that's not differential calculus or <laughs> trigonometry. Managing a budget, right? There's apps that we use, Mint or YNAB, you need a budget. There's lots of things we can use to help. There's a lot of roadblocks, though. Isn't there? There's a lot of roadblocks for people in terms of that, though, and, and it just, you know, it is, it is from their yeah, mindset. And oh, a lot, lot of mindset work mm. around that, absolutely. Mm. But a lot of freedom once they grasp it. Yeah, financial freedom, empowerment, yeah. you know, uh, creating a life that they want moving forward is, is just so great. So tell yeah. me. About your ditch your divorce fears financial planner. Speaking of speaking of finances, speaking of finances, yeah. So it is. It's really just a, a get yourself started kind of thing. It's a little pack of worksheets. It's got um, it's got all the information you'll need to take to an attorney. It's really getting you set up to start and meet with an attorney and get the, some of those fears out of the way. So. Gather all your data. It's got a financial document checklist. What all do you need to go gather? And then it's got a budget spreadsheet. So you can start working on, well, what is my post-divorce life going to look like? Yeah. And it's got room for scenarios. What if I stay in the house? What if I rent? What if I buy a smaller house? What if I work more hours? Right? So you can play around with different scenarios that helps you, again, settlement strategy. Right? Yeah. Um, there's an asset and debt worksheet so very simple like not complicated like a big financial analyst would do there's a column where you list your assets and debts and then there's a column for you and there's a column for your spouse and you can move things back and forth so you want to keep the house great we're going to put that whole asset in your side of the column and then we can figure out what would you have to give up in order to keep that yeah, and I think that what clients actually love is that they have to be accountable to us for getting that done. Because as you and I right. know, going through a separation is like a job, a full-time job. It really is. Worse if yeah. you don't know what you own and own. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then there's a little bonus sheet in there because you know what? You also have to divide up who gets the sofa who gets the TV, who gets the lawnmower, who gets the KitchenAid mixer. So there's a little bonus worksheet in there I call the household goods inventory. And you can go room by room and go, okay, in the bedroom, we have a bed, we have two end tables, we have a dresser. In the living room, we have this, right? And you can start to figure out who wants to keep what. Yeah, Because that's a big part of it is dividing up your stuff. Oh, yeah. And we actually do, we do quite a few mediations with that. People can't mm -hmm. do it without an intermediary, so we go through it line by line working oh, out know. who's going to get what and what we've developed which is really useful for particularly women because 75 to 80 percent of the women we see have no idea about their finances 
is we have developed a financial capability program called Understanding Your Money. So that is nice. taking them through from that basic budget template right through to learning through debt, you know, investing, um, mm. and that's face-to-face and online. And that is really useful because I was really yeah, taken aback, sounds... you know. Yeah, that sounds really helpful. Uh, we did that, that in partnership. Really yeah, partnership with a uh, financial advising company called Cambridge Partners. I'll send you the link. You can. I'll send you. Um, I'll get them to send you your own login. You can have a look at it. Um, awesome. And um, we get some really great feedback in terms of that. It's really um, brilliant for sounds, for people. Sounds amazing. Even if you're not going through divorce and separation, as I said, it's useful for anybody. So. Would you believe it? We've come to our last question. Um, what are your three top tips for people going through divorce and separation? My top three tips. Number one, pay attention to how you start the process. How you start the process is really important. How you tell your spouse, right? How you begin. Number two, take your time. Don't try to rush things. You're going to get divorced. Unless it is an emergency, you're out of money, there's something scary happening. Take your time. The collaborative style of conflict management takes the most time and the most energy, but it creates solutions that are best for everybody involved. So take your time. Be and now. The third, pardon? Be an L, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And then the third one would be focus on your future. This is a speed bump. Divorce is a speed bump. It's going to finish and you have a life beyond that. So be making decisions in your divorce that set you up for the best future. Keep remembering that you need to dream about what life is going to be on about after this. Yeah. A speed bump is better than a tsunami, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it depends, <laughs> right? I think it feels like a tsunami when you're in it. Yeah. I think when you look back, it's a speed bump. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So divorce can be a tough and a lonely road when you go it alone. Trying to manage the financial, emotional, legal, parenting, and career aspects can overwhelm even the strongest people. A divorce coach can serve many roles within your divorce. Thank you, Deborah, for your amazing um, insights. If you'd like to know more about Deborah, go to her website, debradoic.com, and to find more about us at equalexes.com. So, no. A brilliant chat, Deborah. It's been nearly an hour. I can't even believe it. This time goes so fast when I'm when I'm chatting with you. We just blabbing away. Know, right? That sounds great. Thanks a lot. Lots of love. Bye okay, now. You- Bye.